Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 177. We'll continue in the Psalms with a brief summary of chapters 95 through 98 and follow with some thoughts about a righteous cancellation. This episode's run of Psalms might be the most uplifting and cheery so far. Four Psalms each exploring an aspect of praise and joyfulness we haven't seen from the poet in such abundance in the previous 90-plus psalms. Psalm 95 is cleaved into two, the first part a psalm of praise and admiration from the people, and the second part God's reaction, which sends a gentle warning to stay on the righteous path. Quote, Come, let us sing gladly to Adonai. Let us shout the rock of our rescue. For the next six verses, the praises overflow. But as I said, God replies with a warning about the children of Israel whose hearts were hardened against God. And because of their obstreperous behavior, quote, against them I swore my wrath. They shall not come to my resting place. Psalm 96 is a call to action. Quote, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Bring tidings every day of his rescue. Then when the singing is done, the poet charges the people with spreading God's word among the nations. Quote, grant to Adonai his name's glory, bear tribute, and come to his courts. Finally, nature gets into the mix. Quote, let the heavens rejoice and the earth exult. Let the sea and its fullness thunder. Let the field be glad in all that is in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest joyfully sing before Adonai. Psalm 97 recounts what happens when God is present in the world. Quote, cloud and dense fog around him, justice and judgment, the base of his throne. Fire goes before him and all around him burns his foes. His lightnings light up the world. The earth saw and quaked. Mountains melted like wax before Adonai, before the master of all the earth. The heavens told his justice, and all the peoples saw his glory. This kind of presence is hard to ignore, and with the recognition of all the nations of God's judgment, there is joy in Zion. The psalm concludes with a lesson for all humankind about God's generosity. Quote, Light is sown for the just, and for the upright of heart there is joy. Psalm 98 is also a new song about the glorious wonders God does for his people. Quote, all the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Shout out to the Lord, all the earth. Burst forth in glad song and hymn. And like Psalm 96, nature also joins in. Quote, let the rivers clap hands. Let the mountains together sing gladly before Adonai, for he comes to judge the earth. And on that celebratory note, here endeth the lesson. As soon as I began reading through this episode's portion in the Psalms, I stopped almost instantly. Psalm 95 provides the lyrics for the Shlomo Karlbach Shabbat song, Lechu Neranana. Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach was a complicated man. He was an Orthodox rabbi by training and persuasion, but in his own synagogue, he removed the one thing that marks his synagogue as Orthodox, the Mechitza. In his congregation, there would be no separation between men and women. He encouraged women to study and teach Torah. He privately ordained women. 
1989, when women of the wall gathered at the Western Wall to read from their own Torah scroll, Karlbach was the lone Orthodox rabbi present to support them. Karlbach was also a musical genius, and his songs are sung in Hasidic shtibols as well as Reformed temples. His music, like Debbie Friedman's, is so rooted in the tradition that one could easily imagine Moses and Miriam singing their compositions. And in a traditional world where kol be'isha erva, a woman's voice, is considered nakedness, Karlbach encouraged women to sing. He was also a hugger. He hugged men, he hugged women, he often quipped that he hoped to hug every Jew. Shlomo Karlbach died in 1994. So you can imagine the reaction when four years later, Lilith magazine reported that Karlbach was a serial sexual harasser and abuser. Allegedly. And I say, Allegedly. Because that's what I guess you're supposed to say when someone or dozens of someones makes an accusation against a person, but it's never fought out in a court and there's no verdict. But, you know, how many women have to come forward and despite the immense pressure to keep quiet and the knowledge that they're going to face a megaton of hate, nonetheless say what happened to them before we can drop the allegedly about the person they're accusing? Two? Three? Twenty? Anywho. The Jewish feminist magazine Lilith quoted women at length about their experiences with Karlbach going back to the 70s. These accounts were multiple and corroborated. Two of the accusers even went on record by name. Over the past 20 or so years, even more women spoke out about Karlbach's inappropriate behavior. Karlbach's defenders pushed back. I'm sure they would say that they were standing up for Karlbach because he couldn't stand up for himself. But I'm sure it's also because they don't believe the dozens of women who spoke out against the much-beloved rabbi. So when Neshama Karlbach, Shlomo's daughter, finally spoke out about this matter in January 2018, I guess you could say it was a big deal. In a Times of Israel piece entitled, My Sisters, I Hear You, Neshama Karlbach made a case for her father, which I guess she didn't really have to. She's not responsible for her father's actions. But as the piece unfolded, it became clearer to me that sadly and predictably, she was going to engage in what we've seen far too much of in this post-Me Too world, where powerful or famous men are called out for their, quote, inappropriate behaviors by multiple women. And then the accounting begins, where we're asked to consider and weigh whether the good these men did in their careers or lives outweigh their inappropriate behaviors. And if the scale tips even a little bit toward the good side, We can acknowledge that all men are complex creatures with flaws, and we should keep our canceling to ourselves because in the end, what's a little sexual abuse when it's our guy in the Oval Office pushing for our issues, or it's a progressive Orthodox rabbi who basically wrote the soundtrack for our spiritual lives. In episode 168, I spoke about cancel culture and how it's quick on the draw and And all the thoughtful, measured critiques are often drowned out by the calls for blood on social media, how the wicked are quickly isolated and reactionaries push back and complain bitterly about the woke police and political correctness. And as I said then, really, if you think about it, only bigots complain out loud about being held accountable for stuff they say. But in this case, I don't think people acted rashly when it came to Karlbach. When cantors and rabbis started stepping up to the bima 
in 2018, and in some cases even earlier, to say, we will no longer sing this man's melodies in our services. They came to this conclusion after much painful deliberation. It was not a decision they made at the spur of the moment. Karl Bach recorded dozens of melodies from 1959 until his death in 1994. As I said, they are often the most recognizable tunes to common Jewish prayers, particularly the Friday night Erev Shabbat service. Synagogues across North America hosted Karl Bach services comprised largely of his tunes. Some synagogues let the band lapse after one year. Some continue to use Karl Bach's melodies, but don't mention his name. Sneaky, sneaky, sir. Neshama Karlbach herself became the target of cancellation, and as she wrote in a January 2020 piece, quote, My last name was suddenly seen as a trigger for women's trauma. Ironically, the anger at his interactions with women was instead heaped upon the head of his daughter. A ban on my father became an assault on me, and so my eyes were forced open, something I now consider a deep gift, however painful it was to receive. I'll put the links to both pieces, as well as the item from Lilith, in the show notes. I was fully prepared for her to adopt the position of the aggrieved, to lash back at the backlash against Karlbach, but instead, she reflected. Quote, when in 1998, a few women began accusing my father of molestation and inappropriate sexual behavior, I was unable to reconcile my, his holy work and the description of a predator I never knew. This knowledge felt like a desecration of my relationship with my father. It impaired my ability to honor him, my ability to love him as I once did. And there was the resentment that he couldn't defend himself or answer my questions, let alone those of his accusers. She went on to describe the work she initiated about sexual abuse and predation, meeting with survivors and hearing these stories, quote, So there I stood in that room full of children in pain. One of about 15 public conversations I facilitated, a room of deeply unfair experiences, a room full of testimony of systemic predatory aggression, a room of internalized self-blame. And if I were blessed to have my father in that space, I would tell him that he was wrong. Standing by my father's side, I would not be on his side. That would be a new beginning for him. But I've learned something vital, something I share everywhere I go. We can't wait for someone else's beginning before we start on the path of believing again. Now, I'm not sure what Neshama Karlbach means when she talks about starting on the path of believing again, but she has come to terms with her father and his legacy for good and for ill, which I suppose raises the age-old question for us about the artist and his art. Should we no longer watch Woody Allen movies or laugh at Bill Cosby's bit about his brother Russell, considering how many other movies or comedy bits are out there that were written by people who didn't rape, you could make the case that we should indeed cancel these folks and set aside their art. And it's not like the reactionaries and defenders are going to stop watching these movies, etc. They'll, they'll continue to support these guys regardless. I'm talking about the folks who think about these things and ask questions. Will they watch Annie Hall knowing what they know or look for some other rom-com? I'm hoping the latter. But I think Karl Bach is not in the same category as Bill Cosby or Woody Allen. Allen was a comedian and a filmmaker. Cosby was a comedian. Karlbach was a spiritual leader whose works gave him access to the women he abused. He must be held to a different standard as well as his music. 
And as painful as it might be to give up Karlbach's Lechuna Ranana or Am Yisrael Chai, that pain will pass because through his music, he continues to be lionized and he doesn't merit that. Setting his work aside is the right thing to do, not only for the women that he harmed, but for all of us who want our spiritual communities to be free of such inappropriate behavior. And don't worry, we won't be left sitting on our hands in silence if Karlebach goes. There are hundreds of talented composers out there who have written songs that we can learn to sing and love them just as much, if not more so. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Tell a friend about TanakhCast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text, nothing fancy. Help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to TanakhCast. And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. Apparently, it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible learning vibe in this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast at Patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 178, when we continue in Psalms with chapters 99 through 102.